So I think if you take nothing against the commercial travel industry, but if you see travel as a product that you buy and you surround yourself with nice meals and air conditioning all the time, then it is going to be separate from your life. But you can, instead of escaping from your life, escaping into your life is such a way that you really push the boundaries of who you are and you challenge yourself in interesting ways on the road. And you you sort of integrate, like you integrate your hobbies, you know, like if you like playing um, volleyball, well, then find a volleyball game in Cambodia. You know, if you like cooking, then find a way to cook a dish. And you don't even have to take a formal class. You can, but you can just... Find the grandma up the street and ask her how she's making her dish or a little street front restaurant probably might not be used to a lot of Americans taking a curious interest in them. And so ask if you can hang out in the kitchen for a while and see how they do that. And really the odds are that that's going to happen because again, you're not being a consumer of your travel experience. You're taking control of it and you're following your heart and your interest and your curiosity. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Leslie Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world, and the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity, and it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. Hey, Beat Listener. Okay, so I'm smiling so big because I just got to take a trip down memory lane and not with our guest because I just met him. But um, I I didn't grow up traveling and I really had all these thoughts around travel. I thought that it was expensive and I thought that it was difficult and I thought that it wasn't that wasn't safe. And um, and so I really, I didn't get on a plane till I was 18 and I didn't get a passport till I was in my mid twenties. And I really didn't do a big international trip until I was almost 30. And then the world opened up for me in a different way. And I saw it in a different way. And I share that with you because our guest this week is Rolf Potts and he is the author of Vagabonding, but he has a new book out called The Vagabond's Way. And it is 366 meditations on one or less discovery in the art of travel. And it's a really cool book because you can read it as a daily habit, like a, like a ritual book. Um, you can read it back to back if you want. But as I was um, perusing my birth date day and Brad's birthday and these other days, I was just inspired by all the different stories he has to remind you to not escape your life with vacation. And he'll say this in the episode, but to escape into who you are. And my love is like being it till you see it is not just about taking action in your work. It's it's about becoming more of who you are meant to be. And when you travel, and I say this from my own experience, and you can find your own words on your own trips, but the more I've traveled, the more people I've met, and the more I've experienced, the more I realize how cool and interesting this whole world is and how much we have to teach each other and how much we don't have to fear. Um, I think we can have a lot of fears in our life. And when you get out into the world and you see how different people are living and you see how different things have been around for so long, you start to realize like how freaking cool this whole world is and that you're part of it and you're a unique part of it. And so here is an amazing conversation I had with an incredible travel author, Ralph Potts, and I hope it inspires you to plan something, plan anything. And I love his little story about microadventures. So um, maybe you can make that something that you planned this month. It doesn't really cost anything. You'll hear, you'll hear <laughs> in this episode. 
Thank you so much for being a listener of us. Thank you for your reviews and for sharing this podcast. And here is Ralph Pop. loves it's here opc summer camp you know that thing we started last year well we're doing it again this year and we're making it bigger and better than ever because we have teachers from all over the world which means all day long you can nerd out with me at camp zoom from the comfort of your own home in your favorite pilates workout outfit without having to get bugs or dirt or weird camp food that's like some weird slot no you can have the amazing food in your own home you can be whatever clothes you want to be in and you can join us all day long for whatever workouts and workshops you sign up for in fact you can even do a whole day pass and save the most money in fact, up to 56% off if you buy the day pass. So go to opc.me slash events to see the full schedule and lineup of events. If you only have access to a mat, we've got plenty of stuff for you. We've got Reformer. We've got some happy hip Reformer with you. We've got so many amazing things. You can go to opc.me slash events to see the whole schedule, all 14 teachers, and all the goodness that's going to happen at Camp Zoom. And I'm your camp director. Woo! All right, be it listeners. Hey, how are you? I'm really excited because, well, our next guest has a total love for travel that I think exceeds mine and Brad's. And um, I'm really excited to share it with you. And because I really do think that getting out into the world is one of the best ways to learn more about who you are. It just really, really is. And as I read, Rolf Pott is our guest today. Rolf Potts is our guest and his book, The Vagabond's Way. I think you really are going to get that inspiration as well. So whether you feel the fear of travel right now and you're not really going out or you miss it like crazy, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. So Rolf Potts, will you tell everyone who you are and what what you're up to these days? Well, I'm a travel writer uh, and I have been for, gosh, about a quarter century. I, like many people, didn't travel much during the pandemic, but I got my first big international trip this summer. It was awesome. I went to Paris and Norway where my wife has family and the Faroe Islands before coming back. So I'm, I'm still slightly excited and tired from a great summer trip. Oh my gosh. I'm so jealous. Um, yeah, I used to travel like eight to 10 countries a year for the last several mm. the, the years before um, the pandemic. And I didn't grow up traveling. So I didn't actually, my first big trip was to Brazil in 2012. And then when my husband and I went on a honeymoon in 2015, that was my, like, I went to inter- several countries at once and I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. I've never done this before. And we never stopped. And then obviously we all did. But what got you into being a travel writer? How does one do that? Do you just go one day, I'm going to write, I love traveling. So I'm going to write about it. How did you do that? If if only it were that easy. Uh, I actually grew up not traveling much myself. I didn't have a passport until I was 25. Um, Actually, my first big vagabonding trip was earlier than that. Um, I lived in a van for eight months and traveled North America. This was back when you could go to Canada and Mexico without a passport. Um, and then I, I thought, well, now I'm going to become a travel writer. So I wrote a book, which is a complete failure and complete failures are the best education, actually. Um, and then I just kept trying and kept trying. I was out of money. So I moved to uh, South Korea to work as an English as a foreign language teacher, conversation teacher for a couple of years. And I just I just didn't give up. I just kept trying to be a travel writer until I became one. Uh, and then my first byline was in my late 20s. And my first book was in my early 30s. And I'm still doing it, even though the, the media world has changed. Um, one great thing about being a travel writer is that even if you are not rewarded financially, uh, travel is sort of a reward in itself, you know? Uh, and so even if you fail professionally in an attempt to be a travel writer, hey, your booby prize is that you have these awesome travels that you can remember for the rest of your life. Oh my God, 1000% love that. I also thank you for sharing that journey because I do think like when you, as someone who's written a book, I'm I'm not 
Like I'm not, when I see a book written, I'm like a lot of work went into this book. And a lot of people might see this book and go, oh, well, he's a travel writer, wrote a book. Of course, he's just like, it just all <laughs> works out. And so thank you for sharing that it didn't. <laughs> it didn't, it took a little bit while. Um, when you, can you at first actually, just for our listeners who might not know what a vagabond is, can you just kind of explain that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, vagabonding is my first book and and it's sort of what, a lot of my readers know me for. It's about taking time off from your normal life to travel in earnest. It's not just a vacation, but it's maybe taking six weeks if that's the amount of time you can find or, or a year or half a year or, or six years, whatever you can find to travel and make travel an active part of your life, not an escape from your life, but an escape into your life. And so I've been talking about that vagabonding style of travel for almost 20 years now. Um, and I've written, you know, four other books, but people still like, love to talk about the vagabonding ethos. And I, in the new book, The Vagabond's Way, I've sort of returned to that. Um, and I've really used a quarter uh, century of quarter century, quarter, 25 years. Yeah, the 20, yeah that's, that's quarter, quarter century. century. <laughs> oh my God. Quarter, I know when we think about it, you're like, oh my God, that is 25 years. <laughs> it's a quarter yeah. century. Yeah, no, 25 years of travel and thinking about travel and reading about travel and obsessing about travel. And it also encompasses like 3000 years of other people's travels mm -hmm. uh, to sort of bring this wisdom and inspiration about travel into the new book. And yeah, so so there's there's a lot of uh, different stations in my journey as a travel writer, but it feels like this really, really aggregates the full breadth of my career so far. Yeah. So um, that's a really interesting way to describe travel as not an escape from your life, but something to like enhance and be part of your life. And I think a lot of people, when they think of vacation... <laughs> They're like taking a break from who they are or what they mm. do. And mm. um, and maybe that's mostly the Western culture that is the US because I find people in Europe take all of August off. And mm. I remember I worked in jewelry and if we wanted to get this several designers orders and we had to tell people you must order before July 15th because otherwise they're not going to touch it until late September. Like it's just not going to happen, right? Or like when you are dealing with people with any manufacturers in China, it's like you better get stuff on a boat before <laughs> before New Year. Otherwise, it's going to take till March or April. So um, I feel like a lot of people don't know that your travel can just be part of enhancement of 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 your life. And what why do you think that is? And like, how can people kind of retrain themselves into using their travel to to teach them something about themselves, whether they're escape? Well, I think they have to be willing to be open and to make mistakes and be messy about it. I know that's something you can appreciate it. Um, we were talking before we were recording about Cambodia and how the best place to experience Cambodia isn't necessarily that five-star hotel that insulates you from the country you've come to visit. It's actually maybe a homestay or just walking down the street until your day becomes more interesting than it was before. And so I think if you take nothing against the commercial travel industry, but if you see travel as a product that you buy and you surround yourself with nice meals and air conditioning all the time, then it is going to be separate from your life. But you can, instead of escaping from your life, escaping into your life is such a way that you really push the boundaries of who you are and you challenge yourself in interesting ways on the road. And you you sort of integrate, like you integrate your hobbies, you know, like if you like playing um, volleyball, well, then find a volleyball game in Cambodia. You know, if you like cooking, then find a way to cook a dish. And you don't even have to take a formal class. You can, but you can just find the grandma up the street and ask her how she's making her dish or little street front restaurant probably might not be used to a lot of Americans taking a curious interest in them. And so ask if you can hang out in the kitchen for a while and see how they do that. And 
really the odds are that that's going to happen because again, you're not being a consumer of your travel experience. You're taking control of it and you're following your heart and your interest and your curiosity. Oh yeah. So, um, one way we took messy action y'all, cause you're like, how do I do that with like travel? Like there's things that need to be planned. So when Brad and I decided to go on our honeymoon, he wanted to go to Cambodia. And I was like, that's an interesting place to go on a honeymoon. Where else can we go? <laughs> with that because i was like i don't what are we doing there i don't even know and he was obsessed with this one national geographic with the first one he ever picked up was with the temples mm. and so we um we picked our flights to southeast asia and then home from japan but not the flights in between and nice. then <laughs> and then when we flew into thailand we picked our flights to the different islands we wanted to go to and we really did try to find the hotels that were more inside the villages or just different than what was like when you look up Google up a uh, like hotels near me, it's like, where are the ones that are not paying the ads? Like, how do we get to like the closest to what's going on? And it is so interesting. And to talk about cooking, that is a really easy way to go. And when you're in these different countries, like they love that I or I'm one of the only Westerners who comes by and gets the roasted bananas. I'm like, and I speak enough Cambodian to like get <laughs> get the ones I want. And they're so they want to show me how it's done because it's very interesting. And I think it changes my life because it makes me realize like how often do we get to share our gifts in the way that they get to share theirs when we're when we're traveling so i agree with the messy action there's ways to do it without freaking yourself out <laughs> um so you want i want to get to your book really quick and then we can bounce around the world with our conversation but why did you choose it to be a daily read because i really this is very fascinating to me of course i read my birth date and then i <laughs> <laughs> and then I like bounced to Brad's birthday. But I actually, you said aggregate earlier, and it really is. There's so many great quotes and stories from other people's travels. So how did you go about? Because that seems like a really big um, endeavor to find 366 things to write about. Yeah, well, I, I, I loved aggregating it because it went beyond my own point of view. You know, I could talk about a guy who traveled in Japan in the 13th century, and he had experienced something very human about travel, or a guy who lived 3,000 years ago in Egypt, um, or a woman who traveled in an age in Europe when travel wasn't really proper for women, but uh, her insights are relevant to today. Actually, the idea to have it in this format started during the pandemic. I actually met my wife during the pandemic. I had the weirdest uh, uh, pandemic love story. I was supposed to be traveling the world. She was supposed to be traveling the world. We both met in Kansas, which is where we were from. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we went from zero to let's get married very quickly. But in the mornings, um, and this is a still a habit we have to this day, we sit on the deck outside of our house here in Kansas and we read to each other. And so we read like Mary Oliver poems or Thich Nhat Hanh daily readings, you know, the Buddhist teacher. And this became such a part of our uh, habit, our habit, and such a part of our joy during the pandemic that I realized that I had accumulated all of this knowledge about travel, both from travel and from reading about travel. That why not just do a similar thing? Why not create a book about travel that people can read every day, either with a partner, with themselves, or you can skip around or read several chapters at once. But I liked that this as a ritual, and I wanted to create a book that was a ritual. Actually, another book we read during the pandemic was uh, Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic, which literally each page is a different quote by a Stoic and a reflection about that quote. And so I decided to do a travel version that would compel people to think deeply in sort of beyond that consumer level of travel for each day of the year. And if you don't, if you want to read it in less than a year, that's fine too. But to sort of create this ritual that even when people are at home, they can think about travel and how it inspires people and how it can change your way of being in the world. 
Um, it, I mean, like it is, it is really cool. I, I know, I know the people listening are, they love a daily ritual. They love morning pages. Some of them have different things that they, they do their gratitude journals. And so I, f- I found this like, oh my God, this is something else they could do. I, I wonder, you know, you, I, th- I think it's hilarious because met in Kansas. That is not ex- at all where I pictured you being from. So, <laughs> but I wonder like for the person who, you know, is going to pick up this book, maybe they're not used to traveling alone, or maybe they have fears around it. I mean, obviously as they read this book, I think that those fears will be quelled, but like, what, what are some ways that people could be a vagabond without necessarily going on a, on a, I mean, I want you to go to Cambodia with me, everyone, but what is something you can do to like start that travel and escape into yourself? Like what, what would be those 101, 102 level travels that they could do? Well, you could throw open your door and, and walk out the door and, until your day becomes interesting. I often give that advice in the context of international travel, you know, get away from the itinerary and just walk in this new place and become fascinated by it. This is something you can do at home. And it, it's funny, I mentioned my my wife during the pandemic when we couldn't really travel internationally, like she has cousins in Norway, we couldn't go there, but there's a town on the Kansas Prairie here called Little Sweden. So we decided to walk there. It's 22 miles away. It took us seven hours, um, but it was so fun. I've never, I've never experienced that 22 miles in that way before. I've it's always been racing by outside of a car. And so I talked to people and I saw little, little cow herds and, and little herds of horses that I'd never even noticed before. And so I'm not saying that everybody needs to throw their door open and walk 22 miles. You could walk around the block or you could go to another neighborhood and, and try a pub. I quote Alistair Humphreys. He calls these micro adventures where basically instead of sleeping in your bed, you sleep in your backyard. Instead of, instead of uh, going the same route to work every day, you walk to work through a different route. And this is just a way of sort of getting the, the, the training wheels in a certain sense for the bicycle that is your long journey. And you just get into this habit of curiosity and you start to dream about travel and you start to anticipate further journeys and you sort of give yourself permission, which in a sense, it's not really about making a ton of money, but it's making enough money to make a, a, a journey happen. And so permission is a huge part of it. And it's part of uh, what a lot of those meditations are in the vagabond's way. Um, but it's about slowly, even if you can't leave on a big international trip tomorrow, creating rituals that make that big trips seem more possible. I am obsessed with this. This is like 100% being it till you see it. It's like being the vacation and being the escape before you can actually get on the plane. And, and you, um, my husband will listen to this cause we do a recap episode, but he would drive a new route to work every single day, all the time, like all the That's time great. Now, in LA, you pretty much want to do that because there's so much traffic. You're like, I wonder if this turn's going to get me. <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to make, find a new route here, but it is a way to get like to see parts of your own city that most people don't even know. Like, and we moved to Vegas in the pandemic and we didn't actually have a car and people thought it was so weird. Like, how do you live in Vegas with a car? I'm like, well, you can walk places. Like it's not, they have, they have sidewalks. It's not like LA. There's actually sidewalks to walk on. But, um, but I found like living in a new city gave me that permission to have these little mini adventures because I didn't know anything. So I'm like, this is an adventure, you know? Um, but we can do that today where we are. And you are right. It's the permission part is the hardest part because a lot of people think that they have to wait and save up for the big trip or that if they're not going to some particular like known place that maybe it's not safe to go or maybe they need to be part of a group. And so doing those little micro adventures where they have to be resourceful and they get lost and they have to figure out directions is really a great way of practicing it. Yeah, and I think... 
oftentimes people think they need to get a big trip out of their system. And I thought this way when I was younger, you know, I thought that I would work hard my whole life and then retire from work. And then I could travel as I thought, but you know, my, my grandfather was a Kansas uh, farmer and he'd worked harder than anybody ever knew in my life. He started farming when he was 15, you know, he quit school to start farming at that age. Well, grandma had Alzheimer's by the time he was ready to retire. And I don't know that he dreamed of travel necessarily, but he just wasn't able to enjoy his retirement with the woman he loved in that way that he thought he might have. And so I realized when I was young that I needed to create this time. And so my first vagabonding trip, eight months around North America, I thought I would get travel out of my system, but I really just sort of learned that it's it's easier and safer and cheaper than I thought it would be. And you don't need to just have one dream trip and then be done with it. So I think that you can start by... You talked about solo versus group travel. You can go on a group trip that's one week long to Croatia just to get a taste for things. And odds are you're gonna learn that you don't really need that group trip, that these restaurants are available to anybody who walks up and asks for food, you know, and that you could actually stay longer and you kind of want to stay longer and you can maybe find a way to, to spend a month or two on the road too. And so baby steps, I'm all for baby steps. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we think I'm going to do my dream trip and then I'll have my dream trip. Well, you can have a little, lot of little micro trips that lead up to a dream trip and they will inform that dream trip that will make it so much more dynamic than you ever would have imagined when you're sitting at home dreaming about it. Yeah. I um. So similarly, I don't think I got my passport till I was a little over 25 because yes, it was somewhere in my early 20s that you ended up having to have a passport to leave the States to go into Canada or Mexico. So I had to get one and I didn't really feel like it was on an international trip until I went to Brazil. Like, I, I don't know why that felt like it's like, it doesn't, doesn't feel real if I can still drive there. So I flew in and I ended up doing Rio by myself, which was its own adventure. But one thing I did learn that I didn't know is it doesn't have to be as expensive. And you mentioned that earlier, but like if you like volleyball, fine volleyball, I'm gluten and dairy free. So even just searching for restaurants that could offer those things took me off these beaten paths. And I found other bloggers who had traveled before me who had said, go to this restaurant, they have gluten free stuff. And so I found myself at this art school in Rio, there was no one else that wasn't a local. And I got to experience this beautiful place. It was this old mansion. And I went on this hike and I had was able to hire a guy to walk me up, to hike me up to Christ the Redeemer versus take the tram up to Christ the Redeemer. And I would never have had that adventure had I not like Googled something that was important to me while I traveled and found other people's trips and other people's like journeys. I'm like, oh, and it was so much easier than I expected. And and you, and I didn't realize that you could, it didn't have to be the most expensive trip I made. It could be something that I could actually afford. And I realized then I was like, oh, international travel isn't that hard. It felt hard because I hadn't done it. And then once you do it, you're like, oh, I could take, I could stay a little longer. So um, I have been back to Rio a couple of times and I would love to take Brad, but we keep bouncing around to other places. So I had to share that because if you, if you do have something specific that you can look up, if there's something that you really love, you'll find things that are so unique and you end up on these interesting corners and these cool places. Yeah, little missions are great. Like when I was in Rio, I tried to learn samba, um, and I, I was terrible. Like it was, I, I failed as a samba guy. But sort of that emboldened me to go to clubs where they dance salsa or samba, and to hire a tutor to teach me samba. And she invited me to different festivals around town. You know, I sort of it gave me a community, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. And just those little details, gluten free, whatever. If you give yourself a mission or a mystery to solve, then suddenly you're in that neighborhood that isn't catering to tourists. It's cheaper. People are as interested in you as you are in them. And like every place, there's 
these mysteries. Like in Rio, when I was there, like mannequins in stores are curvier. Like the the be- the vision of beauty in Brazil is not sort of this super skinny thing that you see in mannequins in the, in the United States. It's like, yeah, these, these are bigger, curvier uh, mannequins and that's cool. And so it's like, if you see a city as a mystery or if you use a certain desire or interest or even a limitation, to uh, explore the city through that way, you find all sorts of delightful surprises along the way. Yeah. yeah but, oh, my goodness. It's like, I'll, I'll tell you a really funny story. It didn't feel funny at the time, but it's it's funny to look back to. So in Thailand, you know, they have their little motor little motorcycles and motos or like Vespas, basically, uh, to picture it, everyone. And I would see like three or four people on these with a driver and brad and i are like oh well we want to ride on one the two of us which like he's six foot i'm five nine right so so but we're like because he has a motorcycle back in la when we lived in la and so i rode on the back like let's do it together so it was our last day in bangkok and we had i love vintage shopping so we every time we go international we look for a vintage shop and then i try to find something unique and amazing and so we're off the beaten path somewhere random and just finished our vintage shopping. We see a guy on a moto that you could hire. And so we think that we're negotiating two people, one bike. And then both drivers each hand us a a helmet and we're like, oh, well, I guess we got a really good deal on two people and two bikes, but that's fine. We'll go because we didn't want to disappoint the other person. So we get on the bikes and we're driving through and my husband's driver goes left and mine goes straight. And I was like, (gasps) this is not okay with me. (laughs) This feels very unsafe. This feels like broke down palace. Oh my God, what's about to happen? And so your brain is like going these like mile a minute. And um, we stop at a stoplight. And I was like, okay, hold on. If he was kidnapping me, probably wouldn't stop at a stoplight. And I am tall enough to put my feet down and he could just go and I could just be standing here. So if at the next red light, Brad is not back, I'm going to just do that. And so we're we're on this tour. We're just trying to find this one restaurant. And I look over just as we have to poach a red light. And I see in the glass my husband's moto come up behind me. And I was like, okay, not being kidnapped today. And I don't say this to like scare anybody, but it was just like, it's interesting, the adventures that could happen. And it's more like no one was trying to do anything evil. It's just my brain went there. And it was a hilarious thing, which my husband then pulled his phone out and recorded the entire <laughs> drive to where we were going. But we we saw a very unique part of town and we tried to go on a little mini mission that went terribly wrong. But it's a story that we have. And I I am appreciative of it because, you know, it's not every day that you get to go see parts of Bangkok and, and experience that life. Yeah, no, and you put yourself, there's so much not knowing in travel. You know, there's so much like, this money looks like play money. I'm not really <laughs> sure what's it. The, you know, this street cart in Bangkok has is serving what I think are grasshoppers, and I'm not sure, and I'm going to try. <laughs> or, uh, you know, my husband is not there, so where am I going? It really, it, it compels you to put uh, trust in the kindness of strangers, and it, it's it yields rewards almost all the time. That you're just in a place where you're you're like a kid again. Like you're not really sure what's going on. You you don't know all the words of the language, but and, and Thailand is a great example. That's a great starter city in Southeast Asia. You know, yeah. uh, more so than Myanmar or Cambodia, just because good roads. It's friendly place. Um, you know, um. I just love that as a, as an entryway into Southeast Asia or, or, or Asia in general. Yeah. Um, and it, it's pretty chill too. You know, there's, I'm, I'm sure there is crime in the city, but um, the travelers I talked to felt pretty safe in Thailand. Um, 
Well, 1000%. Yeah. I mean, like I lived, it's really funny what people think about safety because my brain did have that moment. And then it's like, wait a minute, this person would not stop at a stoplight if they were trying to do anything. That's a good detail. You know, like, it's just like really important, but like also, you know, where you live right now and people who listen to this listen, live all over the world, but in general, where you live right now has its own issues of safety. And I used to live across the street from the federal building in Los Angeles. And we moved to Las Vegas. They were trying to put us in, like, take us to like suburbs. And I was like, um, I don't, this feels really weird. It feels very clean. <laughs> this isn't, this actually feels really uncomfortable for me. Where, where, uh, where about these houses? Like, oh, it's in a non-safe area. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Because I grew, I, I lived for seven years across the street from people like shooting up and getting drunk and being like, I, like, what, what are we talking about? What's unsafe here? They're like, well, some breaking in and I'm like, that's fine. But I think we, we can build up in our head what safety and unsafety can be. And what you find out is most of these places, they're so excited to actually share their city with you. And as long as you're being a little bit more wise, then, you know, you can experience some great places. But I would say, yeah, Thailand was a very good starter, Southeast Asia. So, uh, Cambodia, Siem Reap is a great place because it is very much about the tourism, but you get out to the countryside, you definitely want to hire someone. I wouldn't personally go by myself yet. Um, I probably will now that I've been there 15 times, but you know, I think, um, I think it's cool to put yourself in that space where you can be curious and then also challenge yourself to see that, wow, people are really nice. Like you said, they're really kind and, um, we tend to not think about that. Yeah. I think oftentimes the the negative things that happen to tourists kind of happen in tourist zones. There's people there, the, the scam artists congregate in tourists. I'm not, I'm not knocking tourist zones. There's, there's, there's a reason why, you know, anchor Watt or whatever yeah. is, is a thing. It, it, it's amazing there, but you know, they're used to tourists and they realize that tourists are sort of have a lot more money than them. And so that's where the scams are. That's where the pickpockets are. And there's ways to defend yourself against that. But if you sort of wander like, 600 yards off the beaten path, you'll be like the first outsider they've seen in a long time. <laughs> and there's no, there's no economy in, you know, those people have no pickpocketing skills. They have no scamming skills. They're just like, this is the most interesting thing that's happened to me this week. Here's this, <laughs> here's this pasty American wandering around asking me questions about this food and I'm going to get grandma and we're going to, we're going to teach her how to fix it. Right. Yeah. And so that is it and actually you're right you know that well and and the logic that applies to any city in america applies to uh cities internationally don't go to don't get drunk and go to dangerous neighborhoods at, at <laughs> bad times of night use your common sense um and be curious and be friendly and ask questions and people it's it's so great i mean it, it, this holds true from Kansas to the other side of the world. If you take an interest in people, people will be flattered that you take an interest in them yeah. and they, they'll share your life with you. It's the, the kindness of strangers just blows me away yeah. again and again. Yeah. So there's um, one, uh, one thing we do, we do off the beaten path in Seam Reap is um, there's a pagoda that's way off the beaten path. It's beautiful. Like you, you, you would, when we pull up, it's not that they don't see buses because they come in on buses for the new moon and the, um, and the full moons for holidays. But I came in and it was a high holiday for them. And we went to offer the monks food because the monks cannot, for everyone listening who don't know, they cannot touch food that has not been offered to them. So food can be there. They can't eat it. So we go and we are trying, no one taught us anything. So Brad is like lifting up a spoon and he's lifting up the bowl. <laughs> just like lifting up anything and we're just like okay i'm like lifting up the soda like all the things but you do this amazing ceremony for them and then we sat down and because we were out way in the countryside um 
we were very we were more interesting to them <laughs> i think and they invited us for lunch and we had this very very like normal for that side of town that side of the country lunch which is very interesting for us and it was so cool to share that experience and you're right we probably were the talk of the town for a bit <laughs> and especially brad because he was with like four women <laughs> in the countryside yeah i think i think I, I like that you guys weren't quite sure how the ritual went, um, because especially in those eras, you're given forgiveness. You know, people will look at you and it's like, okay, this guy is doing the ceremony wrong, but he's clearly not from here. And I bet he is pretty cool. And so I've had great experiences like that in, in, in Myanmar, another on the other side of Thailand from, from Cambodia, yeah. I've been to festivals. I write about it in the new book in the Vagabond's Way about during rainy season, when I thought, Everyone was saying, don't go to Myanmar that month. You know, it's going to rain every day. Well, it rained every day. And that meant that there weren't that many tourists there. And that meant that everybody at Bagan, which is their big um, um, field of monuments, they were just, they took more, they had more time for me, mm -hmm. right? And um, and that was the cheapest pitcher of beer I've ever had. It was about 40 US cents um, <laughs> for a nice, delicious pitcher of beer. And 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 yeah, it, it's funny how you get two travelers in a room together, and one story sparks a story for them. So your your Cambodia story reminds me of my Myanmar story, and it was it was delightful. We wanted to go there so much. Um, so you you mentioned that, and so in the book you have like you said you went to Myanmar on the season when people said not to go. So um, what are some other tips that you have kind of maybe you shared in the book, but like what are some things people can think about that are probably off the beaten path? So traveling maybe not when it's normal maybe getting out of the tourist areas because it probably is a little safer <laughs> and there's more interesting things and people are more interested in you and you can be interested in them. Um, what else do we have? Well, I don't want to knock the beaten path too much because it's beaten for good reasons. I talk about desire trails. Like uh, there was this German scholar who's, he couldn't figure out why there are all these shortcuts across the college green where he was studying. And so he had the landscaping department resawed it and then a couple months later, they'd come back. Well, they're desire trails. That those were the those were st where students wanted to go. Those were the shortcuts. So the beaten path is beaten for a reason. But you don't have to go that far from the beaten path to find something that is more authentically French or Thai or Ugandan than what is right in the tourist district. And it's really about giving yourself permission and thinking, well, if I can buy this plate of food for ten dollars on the tourist trail, I wonder if I can get it for a fraction of that price, like a 10 minutes walk in this direction. And so really just realizing that there's no prescription. You can you can sort of do what you want. You're in a city full of people who live here and who have to buy clothes and have to buy food. And you can go into those non-prescribed tourist neighborhoods. And in addition to having more spontaneous experiences with people who have time for you, you also save money, you know, um, staying in hotels where local people stay rather than staying in the big giant air conditioned uh, complexes. And so really it goes back, a word I come back to again is permission. Give yourself permission to take that trip. Give your permission, yourself permission to take time and give yourself permission to just sort of follow your curiosity instead mm -hmm. of your itinerary. Yeah. I um, You made me think of like, one of the things that I love about travel is we don't, we don't often, we don't actually upgrade our phones to allowing us to take in calls unless we're on Wi-Fi wherever we are. And so what I love Great about strategy, because you can get very present and you know, mm. all you mm. can download Google maps on your phone, zoom in really quick and then zoom out and it will stay on whether you're online or offline. It's really easy, but, but we, I really love it because that walk from my house, even in my own village where I stay or I have our house, I, that walk from my house to where I'm going to go get my coffee that morning 
and that coffee shop doesn't have Wi-Fi. It's 15 minutes along a river. No one can get a hold of me. No one can ping me. I can't be distracted. I can't be scrolling. So I only can take in how the city has changed since the last time I was there. And I think like it's so if you can do it, it's so worth doing, because even when I was in Australia, which everyone's speaking English, it kind of like was in Melbourne. It's not actually like a very it's not. I mean, it's a beautiful city to me. It's new, but it wasn't like this unique thing. Other that looked like New York. Right. But not having any Wi-Fi forced me to like look around <laughs> and get curious in a place where I could make a lot of assumptions. And um, I find that to be a, a very cool thing to give yourself permission to do. Like just you'll get on Wi-Fi. There's Wi-Fi everywhere. You just got to go pop in and ask a question. But it allows you to stay more present. Yeah, getting out of your smartphone habits is, is huge because those are habits of home. Like when we're bored at home, we pick up our phone. When when we, when we we When we're lonely at home, we pick up our phone. But you've paid all this money to go to the other side of the world and you sort of have the, those same instincts. You're bored for 10 minutes in, in Melbourne or, or Cambodia and you're looking at your phone, really? So that's a great strategy is just not buying the data, not being reachable. Um, and my wife this summer did one step further. We were in Paris and she decided she was gonna use an old school paper map. And so while we had <laughs> Wi-Fi, when, when, we were, when we were in the house we were staying, she she did that to research the restaurants she wanted to go to. But then she drew a little, a little dot on the map and we used our paper map to find our way around Paris and we weren't distracted. If we saw something beautiful and took a picture, we couldn't text it to our friends or post it on social media. That paper map forced us into a sort of presence in Paris that was really delightful. Um, and is a good, it's a good travel hack in a way. It's just like, yeah, don't buy the data plan. Don't, don't be reachable. Mm -hmm. Find a way to cut yourself off because you've paid good money and you've dreamt about this place. Be there. Don't distract yourself with your phone. Don't text somebody else. Don't post on social media. Just take that time in the middle of the day when you're not connected to Wi-Fi and um, commune with the city, commune in the place where you've come so far to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like, I need to get on a plane right now. Uh, somewhere, somewhere cool. So um, your book's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the daily parts because that's the way you wrote it. And I kind of like, I, I, I it's not going to be every day that I can get on a trip, but I do want to give myself permission to dream about them or find many micro trips. So thank you for writing this and, and bringing this to us. Um, is there anything else people should know about this amazing book you wrote? Well, just that, that it's a daily reading book, but you can use it. Uh, you can you can skip around. You can start with your birthday. You can start with Christmas. You can do whatever. It's it's not prescriptive. It's basically 366 ideas about travel and how it can enlarge your life. There's an ethos to the book, but it's not a prescriptive ethos. And so find your own way of being a traveler and uh, pick it up. And as I say in the introduction, if after reading a few chapters, you fling it aside because it doesn't fit in your luggage for a trip you decided you can no longer postpone, well, then it's done its job, right? Um, I, yeah, I, so I, I love that. You, I read that. I was like, genius. And I, um, and I love that you gave another permission slip for people to not finish the book before they, they hit the road. Absolutely. Not a requirement at all. <laughs> We're going to take a brief break and find out where people can find you, follow you, learn more about traveling with you. All right, loves, it's super important to me that supplements I take are of the highest quality. And that's why for three years, I've been drinking AG1. Unlike many supplement brands, AG1 is constantly searching for how to do things better. 
At 52 iterations of their formula and counting, their team is always trying to find better ways to source, test, and aim to find the best quality ingredients available. I love this so much, guys, because so many people think I have to get it right the first time, and they have done 52 different iterations. I freaking love that. So many people have asked me if AG1 is actually the real deal. I really do drink it, and trust me, there's a reason why I've been drinking it for so long. Quality for AG1 isn't just a buzzword. It's a commitment backed by expert-led scientific research, high-quality ingredients, industry-leading manufacturing, and rigorous testing. At each step of the process, AG1 goes above and beyond industry standards. I know I can trust what's in every scoop of AG1 because it's tested for 950 contaminants and banned substances, while the industry standard typically only tests for 10. Holy moly. I know that like I'm a recovering overachiever over here, but I'm super glad AG1 isn't. Okay, so taking care of my health shouldn't be complicated and AG1 simplifies this by replacing multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. It's literally just one scoop. It's one scoop in one bottle of water. It's amazing. AG1's ingredients are heavily researched for efficacy and quality, and I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. Y'all know I've had gut stuff, so that's why I've been doing it for so long. I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription at drinkag1.com slash be it. That's drinkag1.com slash B-E-I-T. Check it out. All right, Rolf. Where do you like to hang out? Where can people buy your book? What's what's going on? Well, uh, I'm an old school uh, author website guy. RolfPotts.com, which I've owned since 1998, is still the best place to find about my work, uh, all of my books, articles. It also links to my social media accounts at RolfPotts on Instagram or Twitter, although I don't use social media a ton, but it's a good starting place, I guess. Um, and um, you can ask for it at your favorite bookstore. You can buy it online, but uh, I'm a big fan of independent bookstores. And so call your local store and say, do you have this book? And if not, why? Because uh, I'm curious and to be inspired about travel. Oh, I love that. And I too, I think like small bookstores, uh, thank goodness for them because they keep neighborhoods interesting and curious as well. Mm. Okay. Mm. So um, I am jealous that you own your URL because mine, mine is actually owned by Think a Travel Writer. Okay. My name. <laughs> well, I, have a weird, I have a weird name. There's not many Rolf Potts in the name. I know, so shock, in the world, so. Shockingly, Leslie Logan with an EY has been taken before, which I was wow. like, oh, I know, I know. Anyways, it's okay. That's why there's dot co's. Okay. Be it till you see it. Action. I am so bold, executable, intrinsic or target steps people can take from this episode. What do you have for us? Well, one thing is that that dream trip that you've been thinking about it, it really starts when you decide it's going to happen. Even if you don't have enough money or, you know, the wherewithal for a couple of years, the, I, once you've decided it's going to happen and that you're not going to make any more excuses, then it becomes real. And psychologists say that the pleasure of travel starts in the anticipation phase. And so that's a fun thing. Even when you're working hard, maybe you don't even like your job, but you're saving money. You're saving X number of dollars every week for this trip that you've been dreaming about. The trip has started in a certain way. It becomes real the moment you decided to make it happen. That's, that's one of my pieces of advice. And it's, it's a very that. optimistic one because, um, how fun is that, that the trip decides once you've decided it's going to happen, right? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, tied into this a little bit is the second one, which is um, make plans, research your travels, 
to your, to your delight. It's good to be prepared, but it's also good to throw out your plans when you're inspired by the place where you've arrived in. I think sometimes we plan our trips too carefully and it's like, well, I sort of want to do this cooking class or I want to go to this place that all the travelers are raving about, but my itinerary says I should go here, so I'll probably go here. No, that's fine. Give yourself permission, regardless of how detailed your itinerary is, give yourself permission to throw it away the moment you find inspiration. And oftentimes you find inspiration five minutes after you walk off the plane and you smell this new place, right? So find that balance between making plans and then breaking those plans from inspiration. And my third tip, and this applies to everything in travel, is just slow down. I know you're going to have like 50 things that you want to do in a place like Cambodia or Italy or Peru or wherever you go, but don't try to pack them into a small space. Let your days breathe, slow down, and realize that even having lunch on the other side of the world is a travel experience. Even if it's not on your bucket list, this restaurant that you didn't know about until 10 minutes before, and it's kind of delicious, allow yourself to slow down, enjoy that place. And as much as traveling through the place, let that place travel through you a little bit. Just, just sit still and be present in that place. And that really comes with the permission to let yourself slow down and enjoy yourself. Mm. I, I pictured myself in seven different places as you were saying all those things. I love them so much. Y'all, how are you going to use these beat action items in your life? How, like, let us know. So you can tag Rolf Potts. You can tag the beat pod. Share this with a friend who you wish you could go vagabonding with or, or, or has had a trip on their mind um, that they haven't taken action on because, you know, it really is an escape into yourself. I love how you put that, Rolf. You have an amazing way with words, which is why you're a writer. But also, um, um, this has been a very fun conversation for me to picture all the places I've been and the places I want to go. So thank you for this. And everyone, until next time, be it till you see it. episode of the be it till you see it podcast one thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast also make sure to introduce yourself over at the be it pod on instagram i would love to know more about you share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it help us and others be it till you see it have an awesome day Be It Till You See It is a production of As The Crows Fly Media. It's written, produced, filmed, and recorded by your host, Leslie Logan, and me, Brad Kroll. Our associate producer is Amanda Fratarelli. Kevin Perez at Desenio handles all of our audio editing. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music. And our branding by designer and artist, Gianfranco Chofi. Special thanks to our designer, Jaira Mandal, for creating all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and our digital producer, Jay Pedroso, for editing all the video each week that you can. And to Angelina Herrico for transcribing each of our episodes so you can find them on our website. And finally, to Meredith Kroll for keeping us all on point and on time.
right, my coffee lovers, I got something for you. And I know most of you are coffee lovers because if you're listening to this, you have lots of things you're doing and coffee is something that you are taking with you everywhere you go. In fact, I know the Plaza instructors around here are taking coffee, kombucha, tea, and water into every class that they take. So this one is amazing because this is Pure Cafe Bold. They have two options for you. They've got black coffee and then they've got a caramel coffee latte, which is amazing. And here's why it's amazing. It's pre-brewed. So it comes in this amazing little packet and you can actually just take the packet into your office, your work on a plane like we've been doing. And then you pour hot water in and boom, you've got coffee. And this coffee actually has some amazing stuff. It's not just regular coffee. This coffee supports your immune system. It boosts cognitive function, increases stamina, it reduces stress, and it has cordyceps. And what are cordyceps, you ask? Oh, that's right, Brad's here. Nature's powerful secret energizer, a rare species of fungi, cordyceps is renowned for its invigorating properties and centuries-old use in traditional medicine packed with essential nutrients. This natural adaptogen boosts stamina and supports overall well-being. And seriously, it's actually super simple to make. Leslie and I have taken it camping. Yeah. I'll use it in the afternoon. We're taking it everywhere because I'm tired of conferences and different hotels having burnt coffee. It's a thousand times better than the terrible coffee that you get on an airplane. And the black coffee is like less than a dollar a packet. So it's like, it's really kind of amazing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the caramel myself. He the does caramel like has it. a little bit of, uh, of milk in it. So. It has some dairy. So my dairy free peeps, you, you can't do the caramel, but you can do the black, right? Yeah. The black coffee is vegan, keto, gluten-free, non-GMO, nut-free, dairy-free, fat-free, and CGMP compliant. All right. So here's the deal. You need to go to beitpod.com slash coffee, B-E-I-T-P-O-D.com slash coffee. And when you do that, you are going to be able to get some amazing coffee that we're loving. You can buy it as a one-time purchase, or you can actually get it as a subscription. There's even family packs. So if you know that you've got a lot of coffee drinkers in your household, this is amazing. And it's honestly cheaper than all the coffees we've been making at home. So we are so excited. I hope you are. Go to beatpod.com slash coffee. And, you know, cheers to you and I. Every morning, we'll be drinking the same coffee together. Woo!